sermon podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. So we're going to continue on with our installment of the Ancient Future Church. And today we're going to be talking specifically about the church as a people who pray, as a praying community. And uh, there were just all kinds of stuff that was dropping in me all morning long. So forgive me if this is a little sloppy this morning, but it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Go with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 21. Verse 12 through 17. Matthew 21, 12 through 17. And Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. For he says, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. Somebody say house of prayer. My house, Jesus said, shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Jesus is actually quoting two separate texts in this statement, one out of Isaiah, one out of Jeremiah. And he is saying to the people there who are positioned in the outer court, who are doing two things. Number one, they're selling animals for people to purchase for the sacrifice. And number two, they're also serving as uh, people that trade money. So when the Gentiles would come in to purchase those animals, the coins that they had were not acceptable. And so they first had to go to the money changers to change over their pagan money to get acceptable money in order to have money to buy animals in order to sacrifice. And Jesus came in and he says, that which was designed to be a place that was welcome to all nations to connect with God, to worship God, to pray to God, to know God, has now been turned into an institution of commerce. And that same prophetic charge, I believe, is being leveled against the church today. That, that if we do nothing when we gather in response to the Holy Spirit's invitation to gather, if we do nothing but worship God and respond to his holiness and then enter into a place of prophetic intercession and prophetic lament for the things that are happening around us, we will have in many regards served our purposes for gathering. Those two things, the worship of God and then to enter into the heart of God for what he is doing in the world are paramount and they are primary for when the people of God gather together. And so we're gonna talk about what it means to be a praying community. And as you can imagine, the topic of prayer is a very large topic. And we're gonna begin by just looking at some biblical precedents and some biblical principles on the idea of intercession. We're just gonna lay the groundwork on the idea of intercession. And then we're gonna move particularly into the church as a praying church, as we have seen throughout the book of Acts. And if time permits, we're going to talk about some practicalities on how God is leading us to be a praying community here at Antioch Church. So just a couple of thoughts here for you to jot down, and we'll fill in the gaps with scripture here. Number one, God is king, and his kingdom rules over all. That is starting point number one. Why pray? Because God is king. 
and his kingdom rules over all. And that's one of the reasons why when we pray the Lord's Prayer, specifically that line in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, where Jesus says, this then is how you should pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He begins by teaching us to correctly posture ourselves when we come to God in prayer. We should always be aware that God is God and he's our Father and he's a loving Father and a good Father and not to get a little presumptuous when we pray. But then he says, right after understanding who God is, he says, begin to pray his will and his kingdom come to bear on the earth. Why do we intercede? Why should we pray for the things? Why should we pray for things that don't matter to us? Why should we pray for things that we're not passionate about? Why is it if Jonathan comes and says, Pastor Jade, I really want you to pray for this issue, and I would say, eh, Jonathan, that's not really on my top five. Why should I pray? Because God is king and his kingdom rules over all. And even though I may not understand that issue or be passionate about that issue or care about that issue, I might be missing an opportunity by responding to an invitation for God to expand my heart to understand more of who he is and to see more of that issue come to bear on the earth. God is king and his kingdom rules over all and Jesus commands us and leads us by saying this then is how you should pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will, your will, the things, God, that are on your heart, the things that are important to you, let those things, I agree with you, let your kingdom come and your will be done. In every arena, in every realm of the earth. Number two, God has given authority to mankind. He has given authority to mankind. And I think we're still understanding what that means on both sides of the issue. On both sides of the issue. In other words, for those of us who live without an understanding that God has given authority to mankind, we become susceptible to the villainy of the enemy. We just do. Part of the world that we live in is comprised of a spiritual battle that we are involved in. And if we're not aware of the legal authority that the king has given us to bear in his kingdom, to bring his kingdom, we're going to be taken advantage of. If we're not aware that God has given us spiritual resources for the life that we're living and for his agenda in the earth, we're going to be taken advantage of. We're going to have, we're going to be at a disadvantage. And so it's important that we understand that God has legally granted authority, which is the legal right to execute power. He has given that to his people. But on the other side of the equation, I, I think that sometimes we might assume some carte blanche authority. Right, The idea, well, God's given me all authority. Well, God's not given us all authority, and there are principles in the scripture that we have to understand in order for us to submit to so that we grow incrementally into the authority that God has given to us, and we don't start picking fights with people that we're not legally granted authority by God to pick fights with. That's when we get into trouble. That's when we get hurt, and then we start blaming God. So all of this is something that we mature, we grow into. Number three, God cares for the world. Can we agree with that? God cares for the world. He cares. He cares. I, I think that for nothing else, it is important for us to be aware of current affairs, current affairs both locally and globally. If for nothing else but for us to not become desensitized 
to the harsh reality of sin and what a world looks like that is under the dominion of the devil. And for us to allow God to regularly move our heart with the plight of the world. It's important. It is important. There, every single one of us and every person on the planet, we are limited in our scope of understanding of what people in the world are dealing with. None of us, none of us fully understands what the other is walking through. And that's from large social sectors, that's from large demographics, and that's all the way down to the individual. None of us understands the struggle and the pain and the plight that the other person is walking through. But God cares. And why do we intercede? We intercede that because we're tapping into and we're partnering with the heart of God that cares deeply and personally and who is intricately involved. He is involved. He is involved and he wants to reveal how he's involved. And part of the way that he does that is through a praying church and through a praying people. Part of the way that his goodness is manifested, part of the way that his solutions come to bear, part of the way that his presence draws near in the midst of that pain is when the people of God choose to pray and engage with God. Number four, God calls us into people, he calls us to people, places, and problems. He calls us to those things. He calls us to people, people groups. He calls us to people groups that maybe we may never even meet. You should imagine that. He may call you to a people group that you may never put your foot on their soil and yet thousands of miles away, you are participating with God to bring the kingdom of God to bear amongst that people group. And I promise you, I promise you, faithfulness to the economy of the kingdom, when you show up before God one day, you will see fruit of your obedience in prayer to a people that he has called you to that you may have never met until you get into eternity. He calls us to places. He calls us to places. And how do you know where he has called you? Well, start with where you're at. I know this is, you know, growing up as a military kid, my dad was in the army. We moved around every three years. I moved five times by the time I was five years old. And then moving here, I had to really resist that urge that once the two to three year mark came, like, okay, it's time to roll. (laughs) It's time to bounce. I need something new. Need a new assignment, new place, new people. And God's like, no. And I begged God, literally, for the first six years that I was here, I begged him to move to California. On a six-month rotation, like literally like clockwork, on a six-month rotational basis, I was like, God, it's time for us to go. And I had opportunities. And I will never forget, six months prior to the Lord transitioning me into the leadership of this church, the Lord said, I am not going to listen to this anymore. He said, we're done. Stop asking me about California. I mean, he literally, in my spirit, it was, we are not having this conversation again. (laughs) Word for word. We're not having this conversation again. Why? Because God was calling me to a place. 
And as much as I was kicking and screaming and kicking against the goads and resisting and fighting and arguing, God was saying, I have something for you in Colorado Springs and Colorado Springs have something from you. And you have to embrace the fact that I've called you to this location. Now, will it be forever? I don't know. I don't care. I just want to be faithful for now. As long as today is called today, he has called me to this place. And I am to, like Jeremiah says, seek the welfare of the city. Why do we pray? Because God has placed us as Antioch Church here, as long as today is called today, and we are to seek the welfare of the city. Do you know that scripture was actually given to a people that were in exile? God gave that scripture in the book of Jeremiah to a people that were in exile. That wasn't even their inheritance. That wasn't the place of promise. That wasn't where the temple was at. And God was saying, I want you to seek the blessing and the goodness and the welfare of the kingdom of God to come to bear in this land that you are in as long as you are here. That's what kingdom people do, man. And one of the things that we like to train our children and we like to train our missions teams and we like to train our youth, if David were here, he would, he would say amen to this, is we say, wherever you go, leave it better than you found it. That's a kingdom ethic. That is a kingdom ethic. Man, if you're in the military and God has you someplace for one year, guess what? Leave it better than you found it. If you're going on a trip, leave it better than you found it. If you go into a hotel room, don't leave your stuff all over the place. You're a kingdom representative. If you go to a restaurant, clean up your table. You are a kingdom representative. Leave it better than you found it. Leave people better than you found them. Wherever you enter into the ethic of the kingdom is, we are bringing the kingdom to bear on this place. So we're called to places. We're called to people. We're also called to problems. We're called to problems. And there might be some things that are happening in our world that that, that it just hits you in a way. You grieve over it. You weep over it. You're angered by it. Pay attention to those things because those just might be indicators of a problem that God has called you to. And you might be saying, I don't know what to do. I don't have the resources for this. This problem seems too large and it most likely is if it's a God-sized problem, it's probably way too big for you. And what do we do with that? We enter in and say, God, teach me how to partner with your heart in this problem. And if you remain diligent, He will bring the resources and he'll bring the wisdom and he'll bring the solutions and he'll bring opportunities. And you'll find yourself, if you'll just stay in the yoke of the problem long enough, stay in the yoke of the problem. Systemic illiteracy and systemic slavery and systemic gender inequality will not be solved in one month. And you may not know that God has called you to carry something that you're actually going to hand off to another generation and they will be the solution to the problem. You don't know that, but someone has to carry it. Someone has to carry it to pass on that burden for someone else to develop. Why do we pray? We pray because there are problems in the world that God is inviting us to bring the kingdom to bear upon. All right, let's take a look at some scripture. Let's go, if we would, to Genesis chapter one, verse 26. It's so hard to get down into the practicality of things when there's so much theological groundwork for us to cover on some of these issues. Genesis chapter one, we're gonna start with verse 26 through 28. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, over the creatures that move along the ground, 
Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Another message for another time. Male and female, he created them. To be equal representatives of the Imago Dei into the world. Let me just jump on a soapbox real quick and then I'll jump right off, I promise you. But I just have this conviction that if the church had been doing what the church has been called to do for centuries, the, the legitimate animosity and the legitimate rebellion and frustration that we see amongst women in our society perhaps could have been addressed years and centuries ago if we would have just administered the scriptures faithfully and spoken the wisdom of God into the culture. And the idea that a woman is supposed to be subservient to a man works really well if you're a man. I'm gonna jump off of my soapbox and get moving right along back into the scriptures. Genesis chapter one, verse 28. Verse 28, so God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and on and on and on. So what we see right here is that God, as mankind is made in the image of God, there is a rulership DNA within the Imago Dei. I'll say this another way. Part of the reason that God has created humanity and one of the ways that we represent him is by ruling justly and gently and graciously and bringing the reality of his kingdom to bear in the earth, in our business, in our schools, in what we write, in the things that we champion, in the manner and tone in which we approach issues of our society and our culture. And when we stand up and say, that is not God's kingdom, that is not the culture of heaven, this is not what the world is supposed to look like, when we choose to step into those platforms, and when we choose to allow us stepping into those platforms first from a place birthed in a closet, If you will labor in your closet, God will give you a platform in your culture. If you will catch something in the secret place, he will give you a public place to announce what he has showed you in the secret place. Carry it. Let that baby grow inside of you until you have something that is succinct and something that is precise and something that is powerful. Don't let that baby grow inside of you until it's time to speak. Meanwhile, be speaking to God. Be refining what you're supposed to say in the public arena, uh, in, in the secret audience of you speaking with God. God has given us authority in the earth. Number five, God invites us to expand us. He invites us to expand us. And all throughout the scriptures, we have a chronicle of God inviting people into things that were way beyond them, way beyond them. There is no way that a 17-year-old boy was ready to rule a nation, but God, in, he invited him to expand him. He invited Joseph to go on a journey of faithfulness with God so that he could cause the deliverance and the provision of his kingdom to touch Egypt, a foreign nation, when famine was going to touch that land. And God knew 13 years prior, when Joseph was 17 years old, God knew a famine was coming. Think about this. God knew, he knew 13 years prior. I mean, honestly, he knew like a lot longer. 
but he knew 13 years prior, and he's like, I've got to position someone to get ready to be in that place to lament and to be a priest and to be a prophet and to be a king in this situation because if I don't, millions of people are gonna starve and die. So what, is, what does he do? He finds a 17-year-old boy who's hanging out with some sheep, being faithful to his father, and he says, this is the one that I am gonna put this call upon and I'm gonna reveal this aspect of my kingdom to his life and I'm gonna fashion him so that he can withstand the pressure politically, so that he can withstand the pressure relationally, economically, emotionally, and so that in the moment when everything is falling apart, I've got someone that I fashioned to bring my kingdom, to be an intercessor, to stand in the gap on behalf of countless people. He invites us to expand us. He has granted us authority. Take a look at this uh, at this amazing story in Genesis 18. We're gonna begin, Brittany, with verse 20. We're gonna look through, 20, uh, through 33. Genesis chapter 18, 20 through 33. For those of you who are not familiar with the story here, there's a man by the name of Abram. And for the first several chapters of Genesis, beginning with chapter 12, we find that Abram is visited by God. And he's visited by God and he's called out from his land and he's called out from his father's household in order to be an intercessor and a prophet and priest and a king for the purposes of God for a people. And through Abraham is to come a lineage of people, first through Israel, and then a blessing of the kingdom is to come to all peoples on the earth. And so out of Abram's friendship, look at this right here. The Lord said the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and I will see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. Let's just pause right here because we see this word outcry several times in the Old Testament. This this word outcry is used again in the book of Exodus. If you'll find Exodus chapters one through three, if you'll you'll recall that when God steps down and he meets Moses at a burning bush, here's what he says. He says, I've come down in response to an outcry from my people Israel who've been living under slavery under Pharaoh for 400 years. God hears the cries of his people. And whether those are literal cries that are coming out of people's mouths or whether they are a silent cry coming out of the pain and the oppression of people in their spirit, God hears the outcries of humanity and he responds. And all throughout, he is faithful all throughout scripture to find someone to say, will you enter into a response to this outcry with me? Will you hear what I'm hearing? Will you care about the things that I'm caring about? That's essentially what we see over and over and over again. And whether it's David or Solomon or Isaiah or Ezekiel, it's God selecting someone to say, will you care about this outcry with me? I will go down, I'll see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Verse 22. So the men turned away and they went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. What's going on here? I believe that Abram was actually brought into counsel with a conversation that God was having amongst the Trinity. 
one of the reasons why we engage in worship to draw near to God, one of the reasons, I mean, there's many, but one of the reasons why we draw near to God is that we may enter into the counsel that God is having with the situations of the world. He draws us near to hear the conversations that he is having amongst himself within the Trinity for the kingdom of God to come to bear on the earth. And what happens with the rest of the story? This is amazing. This, this is audacious. It's just audacious. Let's just keep reading here. Verse 23. Then Abram approached him and he said, will you sweep away? It's like, God, I can't help but overhearing. And I love the fact that after the other two, maybe Jesus and the Holy Spirit are like, okay, we're gonna go over here and take care of things. Maybe it was a company of angels, but here's what's clear, that Abraham stays behind. I mean, how easy would it have been for Abram to say, well, the conversation's over. I'm just gonna go and act like I never heard any of that. But, but Abram had something invested. Abram had family members in Sodom and Gomorrah. Abram was relationally and emotionally attached to the outcome. And I think that's part of the problem. That if we're not somehow, if it doesn't affect me in some way, I'm not gonna be moved by it. Well, if I don't have any future stake in this, hey, it's okay if we drop bombs on that country because I don't know anybody in that country. But what if you knew somebody that was over there? Would you think differently? Would you, would you see the world differently? Would you see war differently? Would you see violence differently? Would you see oppression differently? And that's the issue. The issue is that God is inviting us to say, he's inviting us out of this realm where he's saying, you can actually identify with my passion without having to be personally affected by it. That is possible. That is possible. So Abraham stands behind and he has a conversation with God and he says, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Because this doesn't seem like it's consistent with your character. And here's what we have to understand is that intercession is an invitation to a revelation of the character of God. Intercession is an invitation into a revelation of the character of God. How do we intercede? We intercede in faithfulness with the character of God. Abraham, let's look at the next verse. What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away? And not spare the place for the sake of 50? Far be it from you. This is bold. Far be it from you. But like he's not doing this in a condescending way. He's not doing it in a condemning way. He's doing this without the scriptures, mind you. He's doing this out of the revelation of his personal relationship with God. And he's saying, from the time you came to me and you called me out of a pagan land and the time that you said that you're gonna cause the Gentiles to inherit a promise, this does not seem like it is consistent with your character. So God, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth. He's appealing to the justice of God. Let's keep reading. And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. We're gonna just like blast through these, Brittany. And then Abram spoke up again. He says, now that I've been so bold as to speak, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, I'm keeping, I'm keeping, I understand where I'm at. I'm understanding where you're at. You're God, I'm not. And yet you've invited me into this audacity. The call to intercession is an invitation into an audacious life. 
And, and this is just, this is my personal, this is not Bible or theology, but this is my personal opinion. I think God loves it. I think he loves it. I think God was sitting back and saying, every increment, Abraham, that you push the issue, I'm gonna put some more of my heart in you. God never rebuked him. What if the number of the righteous is, is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five people? If I find 45, I'm not gonna destroy it. Once again, he spoke, but what if only 40 are found there? And for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And then he said, may the Lord not be very angry. I feel like this is me and my kids negotiating. <laughs> Except we negotiate over candy and he's negotiating over souls. It's like, you got the right idea. <laughs> but what if I only find, what if only 30 can be found there? If I will not, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And Abram said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found? For the sake of 20, I will not. Listen to the heart of God. God does not want to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, so, oh gosh, here's another social issue I gotta jump into. So for all of us who are like, you know, folding our arms and you doggone homosexuals, listen, God is trying to find someone to partner with him to relent. The scripture is very clear in 1 Peter 3, 9 that God desires that none should perish. None should perish. And someone who is involved immorally with that relationship is no different than me if I'm involved in a heterosexual immoral relationship. There's no difference. God does not desire that any should perish. His heart is for the goodness of the kingdom to come to bear on all of humanity in every space and place of the world. Look at this, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abram, he left and Abram returned home. I just think this is one of the best examples of what it means to carry the spirit of an intercessor. That out of relationship with God, some of the way that the word intercession and intercede is translated is actually to bargain and to plead that we enter into out of, out of the safety of the relational equity that we have developed with God. Are you listening to this? Out of the safety zone of our relational history, God, I know you. I know you and you know me and I know this is not your heart and I'm gonna, I'm gonna risk something. I'm gonna risk something and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put our relationship to the test in the, in the most honest and pure way possible and I'm gonna step into a dimension that I've not been familiar with, but God, I am going to plead for your heart on behalf of people that don't even know that I'm doing this. They don't even know that you exist. They don't even know what's coming. They don't even know what you're saying and I'm gonna step into a space and say, God, would you move on their behalf? And I don't care if anybody knows. I don't care if anybody sees. I don't care if anybody puts my name on a podcast interview. I don't care if anybody places me on front of a magazine. I can be hidden as long as the kingdom of God comes to bear into the world. As long as souls are saved. As long as this destruction is prevented from happening. God loves it. it says in Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30. I looked for a person to build a wall and to stand in the gap. What does that tell us about God? Let's just look at it, uh, Brittany. Look at Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 30. 22, verse 30. This is God who's about to just 
unleash judgment on the people of Israel. And he says, I looked for someone. Let's just stop right there. He says, I looked for someone. I looked for someone. I was patient. I was gracious. I was kind. I was relenting. And I cannot say that I understand the full economy of justice, but somewhere in this, in this God revealing something, that justice is also required and justice is also imminent because of the righteousness of God. And yet, with justice on one side, love, mercy, and compassion on the other side are saying, I looked for someone. We find this in Isaiah chapter 6 and what we read this morning. When Isaiah is brought into a conversation with the Trinity, who will go for us? Who can we send? Who will be an intercessor? Who will stand in the gap? Who will reveal my kingdom? Who will be a prophet and a priest and a king in this gap? Listen, the world has gaps. The world has gaps. There are socioeconomic gaps. And there are elements of social injustice and economic injustice that is going on with those gaps. It's a gap. It's a gap. There are racial gaps. There are relational gaps. There are ethnic gaps all around the world. There are opportunity gaps. Are you hearing me today? Everywhere we look, here's the way that I want us to see it. Every time you see a problem, instead of looking at that problem and folding your arms and critiquing it, or every time you look at that problem and say, this is a real problem, I want you to say, that's a gap. That's a gap. That's a gap. Children don't have food to eat for lunch. That's a gap. Are you hearing me today? There's a gap there. And so here's what God says. For every gap, I'm looking for someone. I'm looking for, you know what Christians are? Christians are gap fillers. That's what we are. That's what we do. And every week when we gather together, what we do is we say, God, we want to fill gaps. Your house shall be called a house of prayer, and we're going to fill gaps. We're going to fill gaps. We're going to fill gaps on a local level. We're going to fill gaps on a, on a national level. We're going to fill gaps on a global level. We're going to say, God, sign us up because we want to enter into your heart to pray your kingdom to bear in this issue. I want you to take a look here with me, if you would, at um, Luke chapter 19. God is looking for someone to stand in the gap. What does this look like? Well, to be honest with you, it looks like many different things. In some regards, it means that we look like a priest. Jesus is our high priest. And I think when you look throughout the scriptures, what you see over and over again is you see people being selected by God to function in the role of a priest. What was Abram doing? He was functioning as a priest. What does a priest do? A priest takes the needs of the people and presents them before God. Abram is saying, God, this situation of Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to step into a priestly role here, and I am, I am going to appeal to you on behalf of them. Sometimes we're to function as a prophet, which is where we appeal to the people on behalf of God. We function as a prophet to where we say, I'm seeing this injustice and something needs to be declared and spoken over this injustice and I have got a word from God, either written or revealed, and I'm going to speak into this situation on behalf of God. And we don't do that arbitrarily. We don't just do that off of uh, um, presumption. We do that by saying, God, is there something that you want to speak into this that you've revealed in your word or you've revealed in my spirit 
And Lord, would you, would you authorize me to be able to speak what it is that you are speaking into this situation? Are you hearing me? Sometimes we function as kings for we step into an extra special measure of the authority of God to where we actually make decree. But again, I think, I think, <laughs> I think we've been operating in this with a lot of presumption. I mean, just think about it in the natural. You don't just become a king because you say I'm a king and just start slapping decrees on everything. I decree and <laughs> no, careful. Good way to get thrown in prison. So one of the ways, so there's, there's a lot of different ways. We say, God, this, this, this is an issue right now that is happening that is inconsistent and incongruent with your heart and your character. Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 41, Brittany, verse 41. This is actually one of the ways that I think that we, it is one of the untapped, underutilized weapons of intercession. I'm convinced. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Verse 42. And he said, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring your peace, but now it, but now it's hidden from your eyes. In other words, you missed it. You could have seen what is bringing peace, but you missed it. And because you missed it, I am, we, I am lamenting. I am broken at this. I am weeping over you. And it is a form of intercession. Guys, I will never forget. I was preparing to go. My, my family and I were preparing to go on vacation in July, three years ago. The day before we were to depart, we were going to depart on a Sunday. And just days before, on June or July the 5th, a man by the name of Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge was killed by cops. The very next day, a man by the name of Philando Castile in St. Paul, Minnesota, was also killed by cops. And for one second, can we pause and not get into all the, all the political rantings about this? For one second, can we stop and can we go, that was a man who was a father or a brother or a husband. He belonged to a community. At one, can, can we just stop for half a second and not get into, you know, all of the petty little arguments? And can we just stop and say, this was someone that God cared deeply about? This is someone that had a destiny on their lives? I mean, it's easy to point fingers on both sides of the issue. And, when, and listen, there are some situations that have no good answers. The only answer they have is a lament. The only answer they have is, God, I am broken at this because this situation, God, I wish I could say this. This situation stinks. This is awful. This is wrong. This is unjust. This is unholy. And it breaks your heart. And I'm just here to say, I'm just here to announce today. I'm here to announce this prophetically. That in the injustices and the broken corruptions of the world, if all we can do is, is sit back and kind of fit on one side of the political discussion or the other, and we have never wept over the issue, we need to shut up and be quiet. We do. We do, guys. The world does not need us taking our cues from Bill O'Reilly or Glenn Beck. That's not what the world needs. The world needs us taking our cues from a word of God that was birthed in brokenness. 
A word that was birthed in brokenness. A word that was birthed in brokenness. A word that was birthed in brokenness. And when Jesus stood on that cross, you know what he said? He didn't say, man, he didn't, he, ugh. When Jesus stood on that cross, you know what he said? He said, forgive them. You know why? Because something was birthed in brokenness. Because all the anger and all the politicization and all the accusation and all the allegation was threshed out of him when he said, God, I'm going to let you break my heart. And instead of being angry at the city, he knew that this city were the people that were going to crucify him. And he wept over them. And a word came that was birthed out of brokenness. You know what that word was? It was a word of intercession. Jesus was on the cross interceding father up until the last breath forgive them that's called intercession folks that's called prayers of the people that's called the church has been called to be a praying people that's called the church in the last moment of his life he was standing in the gap standing in the gap in the last moment standing in the gap till the very end till the very end and listen I don't really don't give. I'm like on the edge of such a, I just don't care if our prayers are written. I don't care if you come up here and you pray something and it's not written. Okay, those are logistical tools that are designed to help us accomplish a lot of things in, this, in, in, in a short amount of time. The spirit behind this liturgy is God, we want to be on target and poignant and pregnant. And listen, the same Holy Spirit that can anoint you right here to, ah, the same Spirit can anoint you in your study to sit down and write a prayer out so that we can get more people praying than you. Y'all need, we need to change y'all, seriously. Seriously, stop it. Stop it. Stop all of the whatever you're doing. Stop it and grow up, please. There is a world on the other side of my written prayer or my unscripted prayer. There is a world that is dying. And God will breathe on my written. Listen, if you don't believe in written prayer, stop reading your Bible. There is a world. Please. If you got problems, call me up. We'll go to coffee. Let's stand to our feet and pray. Come on. I told y'all it was going to be sloppy. I gave you, I told you up front it was going to be sloppy. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.